Hey, welcome back to another Commission podcast. This one uh, is uh, brought to you by Tyler Shumway. Uh, he is a longtime Bald Move fan yep. and uh, played Destiny with him quite a bit. Oh, okay. And this is his first uh, Commission podcast, and he selected 2004's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It stars an improbable amount of people that you have heard of. Uh, Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet are the two leads. Also has Elijah Wood playing a really uh, interesting role, to say the least. Mark Ruffalo, yeah, uh, better known as the his, Hulk from the Avengers. I think maybe the first thing I saw him in. Yeah, to the extent that I didn't even remember he was in this film. David yeah. Cross. Sure. Uh, Kirsten Dunst is in this. You Then, you know, you can start running down, like, a lot of people probably know Tom Wilkinson. He does a yeah. lot of character stuff. He played the uh, Falcone crime family head in the Batman movies. That's right. Uh, before he probably got thrown off a building or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's just it, an all-star cast. I remember liking this a lot when I saw it the first time. Uh, I remember having a weird experience when I first saw it for the first time. This is probably my third time seeing it. Um, but it's a Charlie Kaufman joint. So he wrote this... Yeah, I was watching this movie going, man, this feels a lot like adaptation or something. Uh, well, that's why. And then I read Roger Ebert's review, and he's like, oh, yeah, Charlie Kaufman wrote it. And he also, so I've not seen adaptation, but I have seen his other uh, film that he made before this, which is Being John Malkovich. That's a weird one. I thought it was interesting because uh, the review, and I think it was, it was uh, Roger Ebert, uh, called this movie his most impenetrable movie to, to date. Which I found shocking because mm-hmm. I think uh, I think being John Mil- Malkovich is one of the most impenetrable mo- impenetrable <laughs> movies I've ever seen. Yeah, me too. And I, I viscerally don't like it. And this mm-hmm. film, I like a lot. I think, despite the kind of pretzel like narrative here, yeah, it's very straightforward. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot to decipher. You are here. confused throughout the movie. But you're supposed to be, and then yeah. things eventually become clear. Like, uh-huh. I think multiple – this movie rewards mul- multiple watches. I also think mm-hmm. that if you've never seen this film before, this is one of those rare ones where I'm like, you really need to nope out right now because you are supposed to feel confused. And in fact, it's been years since I've seen this movie, probably five years. And yeah, I remember in the first half of the movie thinking, like, gee, I – know the broad strokes but i'm like i don't remember how this stuff fits together and then about the halfway mark i'm like all right yeah so if you want to experience that first time feeling of oh this is weird and i don't know understand what's going on and i need to figure it out and i I just want to let the movie explain it to me then you should nope out now and come back later because we're probably gonna spoil the shit out of this oh totally we're gonna talk about every piece of the plot intricately uh, so yeah, this was, uh, it was written by Charlie Kaufman, who we talked about is the writer for adaptation and being John Malkovich among others. He also shares writing credits with Michael Gondry, who is the director, uh, and Pierre Bismuth, who is a French artist. And I didn't know how he was connected to all this until I saw an interview where Kaufman said he either was having a conversation with Pierre or he read this in an article that for, so, so Pierre is an artist. And he thought it'd be an interesting idea to send people postcards, official-looking postcards, saying that someone who they are tangentially related to, like a coworker or a distant relative or maybe someone they went to school with, okay. has elected to forget them through some <laughs> kind of procedure and then to 
So just film. like Kirsten Dunst does, basically. Yeah. To, to, well, not Kirsten Dunst. Uh, the other one. Uh, Kirsten does no. Kate she Winslet. Sends, well, she sends out all those folders that said, "Hey, oh, someone." Oh, yes, what she actually does for her job. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, he wanted to didn't film that their reactions as part of an art exhibit, and then he mm-hmm. decided, "Well, I don't know about the ethics and morality, and just yeah, the uncomfort tricking people that way is yeah. kind of cruel." Because as you see in this movie, it can be a traumatic thing to find out someone that, regardless of what your relationship was, I'm sure like if it's an ex girlfriend or ex boyfriend, you got as soon as you broke up the next day, this person like to figure that's a huge slap in the face. Oh, completely. Yeah. But even then, like I imagine, like. Pfft, some coworker at five years ago, I got a random postcard saying, you know, <laughs> Brent has elected to forget you. I'm like, Why? what the fuck? Why would he care? Yeah. And What's who he... is this guy? Yeah. It, it would Does be... Brent have nothing better to do than forget me? <laughs> what the hell? It'd be an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, and then it was directed by Michael Gondry, who also uh, co-wrote the, the story. And it is a very psychedelic, not psychedelic, psychoactive <laughs> It's it's a yeah. mind trip of a movie, and they do almost all of it with very practical effects. Uh, yeah, amazing effects. I I really love the look of this movie. For example, there's one sequence where he's in a darkened version of the doctor's office where he's getting his memory erased. And he's actually currently having his memory erased. Mm-hmm. And Jim Carrey plays two different versions of himself: the one that's stuck in you know trying to not forget his memories, and the one who is going through the office giving you know interviewing with this doctor. Mm-hmm. And he, they didn't do any separate filming. It was a single take, and Jim Carrey was just running behind the camera <laughs> to a different side of the room, putting oh, okay. on a hat and putting on a coat, giving his lines, and then running behind the camera, shucking that stuff off and going to the other side and giving his lines and going back and forth until the scene was complete. That sounds like a Jim Carrey performance. Sure. I can see that. The other thing, I, I got a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. I guess this stuff all comes from the DVD commentary, which we didn't have. We watched this on Amazon. Um, but the director mentioned that the way they got that title effect of the house being washed away by the sea mm-hmm. is they built a house during the low tide, and then they filmed the scenes as the tide was actually coming in and washing away the house. Wow. Okay. That seems like a lot of trouble to go to, but the effect is outstanding. Yeah, and the iconic shot of the movie, which is on all the posters of, of uh, Kate and Jim sitting there on the the ground uh on a frozen lake by this yeah. big crack where Kate Winslet's ass just just yeah. fractured the lake into a dozen pieces. It did. Mm-hmm. Uh that he's like hoping for something like that, but they wrote the thing saying there's going to be winter scenes, but there's a particularly brutal winter in uh New York that 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 year and that's why they get they're able to get all that snow shots on the beach and hmm. the frozen lake scene like none of that stuff was pre-planned it was kind of happenstance but that's a beautiful that's like a beautiful shot and throughout the whole movie yeah that's not the only one certainly <laughs> yeah Michael Gondry just has a knack for getting these really interesting shots yeah I like the stuff where the set is kind of shutting down and deteriorating and falling apart as they kind of walk through it you know not the stuff necessarily where they're running but the subtleties of like light shutting off in the background that's yeah faces being slightly blurred and elijah's wood's eyes being upside down Uh just weird small details that just are very off-putting. Yeah, and the fact that he couldn't, like, Elijah Woods, he can't turn Elijah Woods yeah. around every single oh, time he tries freaky. is just his bag. Now, that's obviously a special effect. Sure, but some of sure. the stuff is just, like, 
he literally walks like through a big supermarket and they shut the lights off in sequence behind him uh-huh. and it it sells what they're trying to sell which is his brain slowly being erased of these particular memories completely yeah uh so and i got to wonder so is he coming out of this thing as almost a vegetable like how much of his actual life does he remember now because he tried to hide her in a lot of places uh are we to believe that all of these memories where he tried to hide her are now erased? So no, so I thought childhood the, the and... thing that the, the doctor did when he showed up was he goosed Jim back. And, and I don't know what his real name is in, in the film. I've, I've forgotten. I, is it Noah? Noel? Joel? Joel. Joel. And I forget what her name was. I can tell you all of them. I've all got right. the credits list. Clementine. Clementine. God, how yeah. could I forget? Because like that tangerine. features in yeah. the Oh My Darling, Oh My Darling. And that's mm-hmm. how much I'd forgotten... Like, when he says, I don't know that song in the beginning, I'm like, yeah. well, do I believe that someone doesn't know that song? I mean, well, there you go. I know it, but that's like, you know, how many people in the world know about Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Laid, and Egg? I mean, the U.S., probably all of them. Like, uh, near 100% of English-speaking people yeah. in, in the United States know that, but does people do people in the U.K. know about that? Do people in South Africa know? I don't know. People who've had their brains erased don't know that. Uh, their memories of Clementine. But yeah, I, I got that the doctor was somehow goosing him back into the memory path that they charted. So not deleting those memories, but... Yeah, that's my understanding. But I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves. Before we get too much further, uh, I need to back up and kind of set up this podcast a little better. I want to talk about Tyler's... Uh, since it's his podcast, it seems only right uh, to put his words up front... So I actually watched this again last week. I continue to be amazed at how much more I get out of it on each rewatch. I love how the first 15 minutes of the movie play like a typical romantic comedy, but even this is peppered with little mysteries, a hint that there's more to this story than meets the eye. Why are her, his journal pages ripped out? How did his car get jacked up? How can he not know, oh, my darling Clementine? Who drank all his liquor? And then Elijah <laughs> Wood shows up and shit just gets plain weird. Yes, that's the essential premise for the first 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Uh... I one thing that I found I had a reaction to that I didn't 10 years ago when I watched this is it was almost painful watching Jim Carrey relate with this woman and not relate with this woman. Like, okay. And I think it's because I've made so many of these relationship mistakes myself, but to see this guy go after this, you know, manic pixie dream girl kind of stuff archetype Mm -hmm. which i think the movie also beautifully deconstructs as well um and then to disdain and loathe the very things that made him love her in the first place yeah and to clam up and not be authentic and honest with her and to just kind of be um condescending and imperious and increasingly like judgy Instead of just being like, hey, this bothers me, blah, 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 he's always doing this passive-aggressive routine until their relationship just is just destroyed by it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. I, I don't understand. So I guess I identify a little bit with Jim Carrey in this movie, um, or, or certainly the first time I saw it. The second time, far less so. Um, but the first time I saw it, I was in my 20s, and it was like – well, I haven't really made all these mistakes, and I might like a girl like Kate Winslet. No, no, she's not. She's doing the exact same thing he's doing, right? Neither of them are being yes. honest. Uh, both of them are. Uh, I don't know. Although I will to say act, that, 
by the end of the movie, I felt much more sim- sympathetic towards Clementine. Oh, hell because yeah. Because she was honest from the beginning and said, this is how I am, and you can take me or leave me or blah, 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 whatever. And, you know, the nice guy here hears all that, but all he sees is sure. there's a pretty girl who's attracted to me, and I'm going to make this work instead of like, you know yeah. what? We are completely incompatible lifestyles. Sure, because he's lonely and desperate and... She kind of is too, and I, I don't know. It's it, but it's also got the extra layer of they've already been together before, right? So it kind of complicates the issue by the end of it. Uh, well, that's interesting. So, like, what is your st- what is your personal philosophy on rekindling things with ex lovers? I think this movie does a fantastic job of t- showing you why that is a terrible idea. Hmm. Uh, you only remember the things that you want to remember about Mm. that relationship and all of those other things those things that are going to get sent to you on a cassette tape later on Mm -hmm. saying i she fucking her armpits smell and her nose hairs get too long and i hate the way she drinks all the time and i hate the way she makes me feel i can't rely on her to do anything all of those things family exactly all of those things go away after the relationship is over right sure and all you retain is the happy times, the sure. memories of you laying on a lake together or yep. breaking into a house together, whatever. Yeah. It's a terrible idea because there's a reason you broke up in the first place. Uh-huh. And unless you are in a significantly different place in your life, both of you, uh-huh. I don't think it works. See, that's interesting because I, you got, I, I found myself getting into this pattern after my divorce where I would date a girl and then we'd break up and then I date other women and then, oh, girl, A sure, is not that, that bad. Too. Let's, yeah. you know, it's not the worst idea in the world. And it turns out to be the worst idea in the world. So I came up with this little rule <laughs> to save myself is like, if I ever thought about doing that, I have to honestly answer the question, usually with help from my friends, of what has actually changed. Oh, that's key. That is key. If you if the answer is nothing, then you are literally just going to repeat all the mistakes. Yeah. Now, and I also have to say at this point that the current relationship I have, best relationship I've ever been in, um, and 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 now the second longest I've ever been in is a <laughs> is a retread. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, but I think you guys were both in different places. Yeah, the no, second time around. Exactly. Right? That's yeah. the thing. And we both, but and we also had a long conversation about like, you know, we did this kind of sort of as like, yeah. are we both ready to do this other thing? And and it's worked out really well. Having said all that, is Clementine and Joel getting back together a terrible idea? I'm not sure that it is. Why or why not? the thing that has changed here is now they both understand exactly how they were feeling in this relationship, right? And they, they, they both have a clearer understanding of who they are and who the other person is. Uh, and that has the potential, I think, to make this thing work out. Do you think, yeah, because they have like a 360 degree view of everything that they did wrong, the yeah. mistakes they made, the personal betrayals, the private betrayals. And the whys of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like not just the hey, this happened, but here's why it happened. I think that's that would be incredibly valuable information to have in a relationship. So even though on paper they're very oil and water, mm-hmm. you also kind of think some of the more extreme behaviors she was exhibiting towards the end of the relationship might have been frustration at just trying to get breakthrough to his passive yeah. kind of sh- shell of bullshit that he was projecting. Well, and his shell his also might have been his version of that too, right? Like sure. somewhere along the line, these people have realized that things are not going well and they've both kind of clammed up. Yeah. And I think that's 
That's he clams up, she acts out. It seems. Like. Yeah, they both have their own version of it of of the way that they respond to this bad relationship. Uh, and I think by the end of it, you know, the, there's a scene of them where Jim Carrey is just letting this tape play. Like mm-hmm. he's heard the horrible things that's on her tape in his car. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's heard now the horrible things that's on his tape. And and they have an honest moment, right? They have a conversation about this stuff. And as she's she's about to leave, he's he goes out there and they, they kind of get back together. I think there's some there's something to be said for that. Even even if it may not actually work out in the future, yeah. they definitely have a better shot at it. Yeah, and it I also as the movie wears on, you get these incredibly intimate views into their personal life. Like every couple probably has their own private little games that are would just weird to fuck out anyone that saw them. And this one is they take turns smothering each other with pillows. Oh, yeah, yeah. And pretending to die and that whole thing. And that's like sure. one of their little play games they do, which I thought was disturb was cute in a disturbing kind of way. And it I felt often, so. it felt it wasn't cute, it just felt real. Like I can see this couple doing that, and no, and and a lot of it traded on what I know about Jim Carrey, because another behind the scene detail I got was that I guess um, Kaufman was and and the director uh, Gondry were constantly telling Jer- uh, Jim to reel like reel it in and be restrained, do less, <laughs> do less. But everybody else in the movie they were taking and they would do this in private. They'd be like. You know, this is a comedy. Act out, make it bigger, go crazy. Yeah, take take dance on Jim's bed if you oh if that God. feels right in the moment. And the whole time they're telling Jim, you must have driven him insane. Yeah, I guess it was a challenging experience that he felt frustrated and contained a lot. But I bet, yeah, but it yields one of the better performances in his career. And I won't say the best because he's actually had quite a few really good turns as a dramatic actor. Yes. Yeah. Um, should I let Should I let Tyler in to the podcast again? Yeah. Uh, he says I'm super impressed with Jim Carrey in this movie. His usual over the top antics that I found entertaining as a teenager mostly seem obnoxious to me now. Mm-hmm. But he manages to give a really subtle, compelling performance in this movie. It probably helps that Charlie Kaufman always writes his male leads as a version of himself. In fact, he mentions Nick Cage plays literally Charlie yeah. Kaufman in the movie adaptation. That's mm-hmm. the one I haven't seen. But like I said, it's it. <sighs> It might be accurate to say this is one of his best performances, but, you know, Man in the Moon is incredible. Man in the Moon is amazing. Uh, and I get that's a very specific thing that he was trying to do, but he did it very, very well. Um, yeah. Uh, the Truman Show, mm-hmm. I think, is a movie that was underrated at its time, and I've watched it a couple... It's been on the premium cables a lot, and as I'm flipping through, I'll start watching it, and it's like, man, it has... A lot of really good big ideas to it, executed yeah. very well. And he has to have a lot of range, but he's also kind of let allowed to do some of the goofy stuff. It's a very maybe that's the best blend of his talents as a co- comedian and actor. Although, yeah, man I like the, the majestic as well. Majestic's uh, really good as well. It's a good movie. I don't know. He's done. He's done a lot of interesting stuff in his career. I remember there was a time when people were thinking that he could potentially be the next Tom Hanks. Which mm. is uh, another way of saying he'd be the next okay. uh, um, Jimmy Stewart, uh-huh. and I that talk kind of went away because Jim Carrey's kind of gone away. He kind of has. I wonder he if he does some cameos. Stuff. Like uh, he is a little weird. He has a very weird view of the world. Um, yeah, but, but I, I, I've only seen him in bit stuff. Like he was a really compelling part of the new Kick Ass, Kick Ass Two. 
Maybe he just made so much money he was like, you know, I don't really that care to do this too. anymore. That could be I'm gonna too. I'm gonna because he was super famous in sure. the nineties. Yeah. I mean Ace Ventura, he just blew up. Yeah. I wonder if like especially as a comedian, if you can only sustain that for so long. Like Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy blew up the same way. Yeah. And then but I was I just was listening to Bill Simmons talk to this this about um ah shit, I can't remember who the smart guy he has on. Um whatever, it's not important. But he's talking about Eddie Murphy's career arc and one of his things that he said is that you make a career being this observational comic or being like on the streets and interfacing with real people and that kind of is the energy that goes uh, into your pod not your podcast, your performances <laughs> uh-huh. and you become super famous and now you're wearing all leather suits and you're rolling with a posse <laughs> and suits. yeah, or red at, leather. At that, yeah. You're shopping the same place Michael Jackson is uh-huh. um for the bad video and and you can't go outside. That dries up. Yeah, like you your can't humor now is going to be weird, super rich, famous guy humor. It's going to be Jerry Seinfeld, right? The same thing. And that, unlike other acting, which you can kind of go away into a bottle and you can, you know, do a bunch of drugs and drinking and reading and seeing other movies, the comedy, you have to have this engine. It'd be like, yeah, what if we kept doing the Breaking Bad podcast? There's no more Breaking Bad. Like, you know, the hundredth post Breaking Bad podcast would be a dismal, dreary affair. Because what else do you say? You've got no, nothing inputting into the engine. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of. I'm surprised that he went nowhere. Maybe it is because he's kind of kooky, or maybe it's just the curse of the comic. It happened to Dave Chappelle. Yeah, or he made a choice. You know, Dave Chappelle made a choice to stop all that. Yeah, to just get out of the limelight and maybe recharge his battery. And then he's kind of made a little bit of a comeback. Um, I don't know, and guys like Chris Rock seem like they're able to still stay relevant because they yeah. like Chris Rock produced the Amy Schumer comedy short that, oh. that mm-hmm. came out last week on HBO. Mm-hmm. This has become the comic workshop podcast yep. hour. What were we talking about before? How has Kate Winslet stayed relevant? <laughs> uh well she did. I can't be objective about Kate Winslet because you know how like people say so and so is America's sweetheart, like Julia Roberts, America's sweetheart, okay. Jennifer Aniston. I uh Kate Winslet is Aaron Hubbard's sweetheart. Oh really? Right. I've had a crush on her since like Titanic, and everything <laughs> I see, I, I keep this is awesome. Okay. I keep waiting to see the movie that I'm going to like. No, no, but everything I see is weirdly compelling, and she's always super cute, and mm-hmm. she seems very on the ball too, like sharply intelligent, which doesn't yeah, hurt yeah. either. I get the impression. I get the same impression when I see her do some stuff where she's more herself than acting. Sure. Uh, like there was, there's an ex- episode of Extras with Ricky Gervais show, mm-hmm. and she's in it. And yeah, you get that impression. She's just playing herself. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Who's playing a nun? Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think she was really good at this because you can see. I mean, at first it's like, okay, this is this is your classic crazy girl who's going to be super good in bed. And, like, have all these crazy experiences, like, dragging you out in the middle of the night to lay on the lake. To make snow angels in an ice. Break into a house. And break into a house. On and the beach, yeah. And all that shit. And it's like, you know, it's so far outside of your wheelhouse. It's like, oh, this is an incredible experience. But you don't realize that, like, for you, that was going on vacation. For her, that is her life. Uh-huh. And just like, you know, you go to Las Vegas, and it's really fun for a, a weekend. But if you live there... Living Ooh. in Vegas and, yeah. and and visiting Vegas are a different thing. Mm-hmm. 
and I guess that's the wisdom that the Jim Carrey character doesn't have is that like, oh, this was, yeah, this is really nice, but you don't want to do this every night, do you? Yeah. She does. And she's going to put herself in dangerous situations and live a little loose and maybe not pay her bills on time. And that's who she is. And if you want to love her, then you kind of have that's part of the price of admission. He wants all that spontaneity and craziness. And but he also wants her kind of in his little bottle. Yeah, it seems like there's no there's no balance in this relationship, right? Like one of they're, they're both on extreme ends. Jim Carrey wants to do absolutely nothing at all times and be a sad sack of shit. Kate Winslet wants to go out and be wild and crazy and free all the time. Yeah. And neither of them come to a balance, right? He's no. he's kind of forced into her world more than she is into his, I think. But because well, she because she will go out without him. Like, yeah. fine, fuck this. I'm going out. I'm right. gonna go drink all night and fuck some guys or something. Right. You know, there's so I, I can see why he might like not want to live there and get stuck in that idea. But at the end of there again, as the movie rolls on, I felt like I came to an appreciation, uh, a different appreciation of Clementine that, and also uh, Joel, because I saw Joel being very funny and silly in a way that he's mm-hmm. not when he's not around her. So clearly yeah. he had the part of that side that he needed to express. And she takes a turn for responsibility, wants to start a family with him and have kids, which is something he's like, oh, I can't do that. Um, well, he's not even, I can't do that. He's like, you're, you're not that. That's not who you are, which and he's, it, which she takes offense at, and I don't, I don't know how I feel about that because I right. kind of agree with Jim Carrey in that scene. I don't know that this woman who's acting like this is ready to have kids at all. Well, but whereas that's, you're essentially saying that you lack the self awareness to know that you have to do certain things differently to become a mother, which is offensive on the face of it, and also there's all kinds of different parents. Like sure, will like so. I feel like here there are bad parents out there. Yeah. Sure, but I feel like that really all kids need is their basic needs met and to be loved, and that can look like a bunch of different things. But those are pretty low barriers to meet to achieve a child being res- reasonably well adjusted. You need to make sure they're fed. You need to make sure they're changed. That they stay clean. They're clothed. They're warm that they're not in immediate bodily danger and that you love Mm. them. Those are the things you have to do. That's not super hard. I think it's someone that a Kate Winslet could probably do. I'm sorry, not a Kate Winslet, a Clementine. I know Kate Winslet can raise children. She has children of her own. I don't doubt that. Uh, Yeah, but, you know, it's it's tough when you're seeing all of this other type of behavior, right? Yeah. This crazy, wild, free spirit uh, who doesn't show any signs of settling down at all. Hmm. Like you, I, I can see where he's coming from, but I I also see why that would be super offensive. Like, Well, it's also kind of like if you – it's a bit of a sexist stereotype too because the male stereotype is crazy frat boy and has kids and he instantly settles down and becomes this boring family guy. Is that – Yeah, that's, that's it? like – I'm just saying that that's like this male stereotype, which is kind of a flattering one. Well, if he was acting like Kate Winslet was acting, just going out and partying all the time, I would say he's not ready to be a father either. I know, but I'm saying that, like, most people, if the kid guy did get they, – they wouldn't be worried about, like, oh, he won't be able to stop his partying ways mm. or – I don't know. I just – I've seen that play out a lot. Like, a huh. lot of romantic comedies are kind of essentially that, the man-child growing up. Sure, every uh, Seth Rogen comedy Right, but is there's that. something like with this this, <laughs> this, this, this – the female wild and free spirit, it's like, well, she just permanently fucked up. There's no way she can hmm. realize that, oh, I'm spawning a child. I have to 
stop doing some drugs and stop drinking, at least for, at the very least, nine to ten months. Okay, I'm not trying to perpetuate that. I'm, if no, 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 either no. of them were acting this way, I would be like, neither of them are ready for it. Sure. For um, kids here. Yeah, I... Like I said, it's I halfway through the movie was hating Clementine and kind of on Joel's side and also being like, Joel, what the fuck? What is your problem? Like, I get that the heart wants what the heart wants, but well, Joel's, know, Joel's problem is he's super lonely, right? He is. He's he's awkward. He's socially inept. He's unable to make connections with people. And so when he has this slight connection with this person who's forced, she forces herself upon him, right? Sure. Like she without her instigating this conversation he never would have talked to her and also to be fair she's just uh as big of a what the fuck like why did you why are you approaching this man this man is kind of creepy and weird and he's drawing you unbidden and then you make a joke about stalkers and he's like i should read that book like alarm bells (laughs) should be going off in your head as well so here's the question i have because we know why it happens Uh the first the time that we see right yeah but why did it happen the first time why did what happen how did they ever get together at that party at the friend's house. And he was off by himself. And she also, like that type of, the people, the type of people she was with seemed like to be. That's right. He went to like, some uh, cookout thing on the beach. Yeah, with his respectable like, friends. And she has some respectable friends that invited her to meet a nice guy because she probably is dating a whole bunch of losers. And But all these people are but, too buttoned up. And she sees the kind of moody guy off onto the side. And she goes and approaches him again. And says, oh, another person doesn't know how to relate to people. Yeah, okay. So he does give the impression during that that, like, he reluctantly goes to this party, right? Yes. He's like, I don't really know why I even went to this party, but I went. And there's a girl there. You know, like I said, I think he was kind of honest about himself because when she broke into that house and started stealing shit, he's like, okay, this is outside my performance envelope. I'm Uh gone. But then he said, oh, that was a mistake. I should have stayed. No, it wasn't. You were being true to yourself. And that's where, like, I think Clementine probably should have been like, oh, if I'm going to be with this guy, I can't do crazy shit all the time. And for him, for his part, I'm with this woman. She occasionally needs to do crazy shit. Yeah, It's yeah. going to make me feel uncomfortable and stuff, but I, I need to trust her or not. So that's what I mean about the balance, right? Like, yeah. you, you can't be Joel and just shut down every opportunity you have. No. And at the same time, you can't be Claire and act on every wild impulse you have. Like, but, you've got to, if these two people are going to be together, there has to be some kind of balance. But also, like, that's another thing that great relationships are built on is trust. Like, he yeah. has to trust her that she's going to go outside, drink, go out at night and drink with her friends and not fuck a bunch of dudes. Or drive his car home drunk. Or, Which, yes, that's another thing. I mean, interesting there are many spin. things she, she fucked, fucked up, up his there. car. And, like, I don't, I just to start a fight because the way she is so matter of fact about dealing with it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe she's one of those people that, that feels she's felt so ashamed that she wrecked her car and, like, oh, what does this say about my life? That she is aggressively apathetic to Joel as a way to provoke a fight so she can get to moral high ground. I mean,. People do all kinds of irrational things Mm -hmm. to deal with um, the reality that life is a bunch of random shit that the universe doesn't care about, but we attach great significance to. Yeah. And that that's that's just a misery engine and the misery engine that we're all driving straight off a cliff. All right. That's where this (laughs) podcast is going. Uh, Ultimately, like whatever whatever reason she has for doing what she does in that scene and that night, uh, it felt very honest and it felt very real. Yeah. You know, like these people may not even understand, probably don't understand why they do the things they do. Uh, almost no one does. And and that 
being portrayed in a movie where it doesn't feel like it's just completely random. Yeah. Uh, I feel like those are good characterizations. Those are characters who feel real and you can understand, even if you don't completely relate with what they're doing. Yeah, and so we've spent all this time on the A plot. This is one of those rare movies that have multiple plots going on, like almost like a plots season of not, television. I'm not sure even need to be there necessarily. Like there's the Elijah Wood being a super creeper with the information. <laughs> like, et, yeah, good every, job. Everyone creeper. in this movie, you feel like you want to get on a leather couch and psychoanalyze. Yeah. Which I think is interesting and satisfying. Yeah, Patrick just seems that's more, Elijah Wood. More pathetic than Joel. Honestly, which is at least a, Joel acknowledges what he's doing and knows that he's kind of a recluse and and why? But Patrick is like no Patrick manipulative is, is, in the worst way. He's like a psycho techno rapist. Yeah, like he is. It's this, fucked up. This is the uh, psychological equivalent of roofing someone. Uh huh. And he has no shame about doing it all. I don't think Joel is a rapist. So no, no, he's not. He's a better class of person than Patrick. Yes. But yeah, he's a fucked up, damaged person. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Ruffalo's character, uh, that's like interesting too. Because I don't know how much do how you much believe you, him. Exactly. Do you believe when he says, yeah, I, I had no idea that this was going on? In fact, there's a part of my head canon, like it's not an official part, it's a head theory. Okay. Is I wonder if this doctor's specialty, he has a bunch of young, good-looking people with them because their job is – so that for this to really take, you have to form another like maybe just casual attachment with someone. So like mm-hmm. you – these good-looking people go to the people that just forgotten someone and they flirt with them at a bar. Maybe they go out for a date or two and that, that, that sets the new mental pattern, okay? Okay. Because if you just left them alone with their thoughts, maybe they'd be able to reform these connections. And mm-hmm. So I just wonder if like Mark Ruffle, that's part of the thing that he does and he actually was dating – uh, Mrs. Spider Woman, what's her name? Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten yeah. Dunst as like doing Mary? that for the doctor, and Mary. maybe Elijah Woods was assigned to Kate, but he's taken it too far because this is the kind of job that would probably <laughs> attract the potential rapists. And, sure. Uh, yeah, there's like I just wonder like how much of that is just so incestuous because that's what these jobs are, and this is I mean the company feels a little like I. I went from thinking this is a great idea. This is like something that would make a ton of money if it existed in the real world. It probably would. Because who wouldn't want to instantly get over mm-hmm. an ex relationship? Or many other reasons to erase your memory. But it feels like that there's a lot of ethical moral problems that are yeah. entirely explored within the two hour runtime of this movie. <laughs> like finding out that like the realization that Kristen Dunst had done this thing again. Like this is the yeah. pattern and like what and and the first time she had her memory erased, did she actually want to? The doctor said she did, but it became clear to me that she did. She was at least conflicted. Yeah, at the very least, she wasn't totally sure about it. So I think of all this psychological batteries of tests you go through when you're going through some sort of elective elective surgery. Like I know, um, hmm. I got. Uh, I don't know if every place does this, but I was. Filming with a guy who like weighed five hundred some pounds and then had these gastric bypass surgery and lost a bunch of weight. Yeah, and now he's like a motivational speaker. But you had to go through a whole bunch of psychological screenings to make sure that you know you were mm-hmm. ready to. Because I guess this is like one of those things that you can do one time and then that's it. And you have to demonstrate you can keep this particular diet. Yeah, and it's like very rigorous. 
here it's like, you know, it's a sales pitch. It's like, yeah, come here and you can forget. And like even Jim Carrey halfway through the procedure is like, I don't know that I like this. Now, was that mm-hmm. because the procedure was botched? Or is that because the procedure itself is inher- is is you it's inherently traumatic? Like, you know, the doctor says, like, this is brain damage. Yeah. It's a specific type of brain damage we're causing. So I don't know. Yeah, and it could also be just a genuine change of heart, right? Like he's you know, going through all of his memories via this procedure, and he understands at some point, oh, you know what? I don't want to do this, but it's too late. Uh-huh. So who knows? Um, I, I don't know. The Kirsten Dunst thing is interesting because at the end she, you know, sends out all these tapes and all these folders to everybody and says, hey, you guys had this procedure done. You don't remember it, but here's all this stuff. Which that's... At the least, a massive HIPAA violation. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> someone's doing time. Someone's doing time for this one. Yeah, probably Doctor Mearswiak, whatever his name is. Uh, but I, I found myself questioning why she does this at the end. Do you have, do you have any opinions on that? Because I, I have formed somewhat of an opinion on it. I remember thinking at around this point in the movie how it's interesting the desperate links people will go to to avoid the experience of grief mm-hmm. like experiencing grief is the worst thing in the world. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, and I guess that's true because when you experience grief, you experience some sort of loss. It is one of the worst feelings. Yeah. But I think, you know, it is also a feeling and it's something mm-hmm. that you have to get through as a living being that, you know, unless you're a psychopath or a sociopath. And I wonder like some of this extreme, that that we are so comfortable in the world we live in, mm-hmm. you know, speaking as a, a, a person living in, in the, the first world, that grief is so rare that, like, you know, if, if you're living 200 years ago and you've got a family of eight, you probably lost at least one child. Yeah. And your parents are dying early and your friends are getting mangled in industrial accidents and getting killed in these giant wars that, like – it's something that you get at least comfortable dealing with. But in today's society, it's like you can really get far into adulthood without experiencing any kind of real grief. Like yeah. grandparents live till 90. Sure. Then your brothers and sisters are still alive and your mom and dad are together and you didn't get divorced and you didn't have any pets. And like, yeah. man, you enter the world at like 25, 26, 27, you never experienced real grief. I guess it would be terrifying. You essentially yeah, be like, you know, kind of so. like a child, you know, a baby falls down on their ass, they cry. Then they're six years old and it's nothing. And, you know, then they skin their knee and you cry and you're a grown person. You skin your knee and it's nothing. It's like part of the reason we're afraid of of, of grief is because we just don't get comfortable experiencing it. Yeah. Now, the another question also would be if there were a way to prevent that grief or to circumvent it in some way, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? See, that's where I think Kristen Dunst comes in because yeah. I think she's come – She's one of the ones that have, like you know, we said, a 360-degree review process of this. Yeah. you like, no, it is better to go through the grief and to actually move on with your life than to mm-hmm. get stuck in these circles. It's kind of like it a meta-commentary. Like without it. Yeah, it's kind of a meta-commentary on getting stuck in relational cycles as well. Yeah, yeah. If you're ever going to grow beyond this pattern of behavior, which is clearly unhealthy – you need to understand why you're engaging in it in the first place, right? Yeah. And that that you even are. Like, yes. that's the thing. With with these memories erased, Joel has no freaking idea that he's doing the same thing over and over again, and it's going to lead to bad places. Right. He at least needs to have the opportunity to learn from his experience. Whereas 
If you erase these people's memories, you don't give them that. And I think that's where Kirsten Dunst is coming from. Like, it is better to internalize and understand these experiences than to make them go away. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm a firm believer in that. I'm a firm believer in dealing with grief in healthy yeah. ways and, and moving on. Now, my biggest question is, why doesn't the doctor just have his wife's memory erased? Because <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like something you have to consent to. Like, you have to... I don't know, slip the helmet on her at night. Well, but if you don't like... have the... Me- it's the memory map. That's, I think, you're right. You yeah, like, if you don't have the memory, the memory map, map to, yeah. to find the patterns to erase, then you're just vegging someone. Now, what? I mean... <laughs> He could do that. Is this the type of guy that, like, I think the Maybe. slang was roach. You don't want to roach the guy. Yeah. Uh, is he the type to roach his wife to avoid an embarrassment? He might. It. The end of the movie paints him in a very unflattering light. Oh, yeah. Uh, because here's a guy who, full knowledge of all the mistakes and how it's like, mm-hmm. I can see how something like this would arise, quote, unquote, innocently. Like, you're not. You're not this affair between him and uh mary yeah, yeah like i'm sympathetic to people that have affairs and it being kind of like innocent and then it's not and you get fuck up and i'm not saying that's a good thing and the other person has to forgive you or you have to deal with the consequences of that but sure i don't think everyone that that cheats is necessarily the end all be all of evil yeah yeah but this guy did that saw how it played out saw the devastation happen <laughs> to his family saw the devastation happen in this young woman's life and uh-huh. decided fuck why it still feels good to screw this girl i'm gonna do it again decided so I, it's a bad idea even to have her working in that office uh, right yes i mean that is a terrible idea yes and i guess like he he did find like you know i think that was the interesting thing where the whole movie pivoted and judo slammed you to ground is when yeah. you're like you're like when she's running out there and it's like i practically forced him into it and you're like yeah i guess like i kind of see how he would screw up this way and then you find out that this was a pattern that happened all yep. again and then it's like suddenly no 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 yeah. he's a, he he goes from a someone that you can kind of sort of understand to kind of a monster yeah yeah he, he did it to himself man. Kristen does it a really good job of portraying what that felt like pretty well i thought yeah the realization she has when she's like oh my god i've done this before yeah and oh my god i've had this procedure done and yeah and i'm thinking it's like that's uh that is a unique feeling no one like what would that feel like it'd be so surreal just because it's it's a completely foreign experience for human beings today right yeah to have like a portion of their life that they don't, other than like a night of. I mean, I, I, I think it would be super like going into a coma for six months and yeah. wrapping your head around but the like idea a, a that a walking the, coma, right, where you were doing shit that you some had, of the stuff you yeah, but the whole segments of your life were like yeah. you remember everything that happened at work and like sports you watched, but this person that was on the couch with you for two years is gone. Yeah. That would be really like be some sort of trip, selective man. amnesia. I bet people with amnesia have a lot of problems dealing with it. Yeah. Like, that's a thought. It's like the, the problem with amnesia, amnesia is that we almost always experience it in terms of like TV and movie amnesia. Which, yeah, yeah. Where it's that's yeah, not totally accurate. Yeah, yeah. But um, and there are many different types too. So. Exactly. But uh, yeah, I I love. If we want to talk about the technology of this, I actually like the way that this memory erasal is portrayed mm. in, and it's not like dwelt on, but it feels like. They ground the pseudoscience of it is really cool because they're using like oscilloscopes and old touch terminals, but this kind of futuristic helmet and like the psychological interview process, like all that stuff felt like making the memory maps and and then the internal pseudoscience of her him realizing what they're doing 
and kind of like a bizarre version of like active dreaming. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I need to find a memory that she's not attached to at all. And he ran back to his like four year old self, or maybe it was even yeah. younger. Like, I I didn't get a real. I, he, good I think read he says I must be four. Yeah, and that I don't know. That's the one part of the movie that didn't really work for me though. That got a little too weird with Jim Carrey acting like a four year old and making these. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was there mostly just to show us kind of why Joel is the guy he is. Yeah. You know, he didn't receive a lot of attention and he kind of grew accustomed to that. And... But I also think that it's also Kaufman. He does this a lot. He thinks about bizarre, like, what would it be like to go back to a four-year-old <laughs> with the memories and experience of a 30-something? And like, yeah. like, like he said, the desire to be picked up by your... I don't remember what that feels like, but no. I feel like it, this, this uh, Charlie Kaufman probably spent a lot of time thinking about that. Probably. Like, yeah. why? What? what was I getting out of that? What did that feel like and why did i stop and it was a gradual process and Mm. but seeing him work that out on film felt weird to me i don't know like it was uncomfortable like listening to your ex-girlfriend's audio tape telling everything (laughs) bad about you is Uh uncomfortable sure yeah I, i don't know that that was a weird part of the movie but i felt like it was there to inform us about his character a little bit more. It did, but I, I felt like the understanding we got was fairly superficial and not useful for making yeah. other assumptions. And again, it's just, just very weird, weird regressive psychology that I'm like, I don't know about this. But as far as the tech goes, though, I like how kind of matter of fact it is. Like, this stuff works. Don't think about it too much. We're not going to really explain exactly how it works, but give you just enough information to create something in your head that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You never needed to know the details. And also just some of the brilliant things like the juxtaposition of Elijah Wood and Mark Ruffalo's dialogue while they're working with him when when the procedure started getting botched and echo their words. But mm-hmm. and it's not like they clashed. They were very complimentary. And maybe that was the point that that what they were saying made him have these thoughts or yeah. I thought that was just really brilliant the way they blended you know, his what's going on in his internal mind as it's being wiped with what's actually happening outside his mind, and they're just riffle-shuffling this like a deck of cards. Yeah, which is which. You don't actually know if these are his true memories or if these are his memories being influenced by this procedure um, or by his his desire, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, what was the deep... Oh, my God. Then, yeah, speaking of uncomfortable, when they're going through... He tried to get the deep, repressed, ashamed memories. Yeah, <laughs> and like his mom walking on him, in on him, jerking off, and how like uh-huh. that's even if you haven't had that experience or walking in on your parents or some type I've not. of that level any... of that kind of mortification, yeah. you probably know what it would feel like, and you probably know someone that's experienced yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. If you have any empathy at all, but it's so weird that like, why are we ashamed of that? Like that's something that happens because people don't respect boundaries inside of families. You don't think of those things. And, uh, well, no one's really sure when you're, you're, you know, when can you stop barging in? Like I stop, I knowing this about little boys and, 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 and women too. Like I started knocking on my son's door when he was five. 
five. All right. Just because, like, I, 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 I would like to at least give him one less shameful, weird experience in his life. You know. Sure. So yeah. it's like, okay, I'm, pr- you know, I'll just start respecting his privacy now, and we'll see how this stuff works out. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe when he's eighteen, I'll be kicking it down and rifling through his stuff for heroin or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where this crazy misery engine is going to take me. Yeah. Um. But like, why is that such a mortify? Like, so here's an experience I don't have. Like, people always talk about watching rated R movies with sex scenes or whatever, and how it's uncomfortable watching it with your parents. Yeah, I watch that stuff with my dad at least, and maybe he's uncomfortable. I'm not uncomfortable. Why should I be? Mm-hmm. He's not watching me have sex. My dad yeah. has had sex. I know that because I'm here. Mm-hmm. Why is it weird to watch something sexual with your parents? I. Th- I don't know. It's somehow ingrained in our culture and our society, and I I'm not sure how it got that way. Like I get I like if you're know. watching a porno with your parents, that's mm-hmm. weird. Um, but watching just you know a random nude scene in a movie, like yeah. I don't know. Like people have weirdly infantile versions of their parents stored. I guess, and maybe that's what it is. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a lot of shame. I, I don't want to get into like some religious talk, but. There's a lot of shame built into our culture. Right? Okay, sure. Especially as it comes to sexuality. Yeah. So I, there are reasons. I don't know 100% what they are, but they're there. Hmm. Do you think that... So one of the reasons I think that, and you you, you articulated as well too, that while why Joe and Clementine's relationship part two might work is because it's radical honesty. They can... Yes. They're in this enviable spot where they can be totally honest with each, each other... Uh, now, the one thing, it's like, I kind of thought, and I just I realized, I thought Clementine was aware of him getting caught by his mom, like, so she'd know his deepest, darkest secrets, and the fact he murdered that bird, mm-hmm. like, that's some other brave choices I thought Kaufman made, um, to show, like, some of these universal experiences, not only has all of them, but everyone has some of them, but she actually didn't get yeah. to experience any of those, that was a figment of his imagination, Yes, that, all she knows is the stuff that's on that. That tape. was literally kind of like his memory of her that he was trying to preserve. She she just knows the tape stuff, and and it felt like a way of working out how in his head how honest he needs to be with her. Yeah, like I can't hide things from her anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when that tape stuff happens, he truly realizes. Okay, but the, isn't that how relationships start to die? It's like at some point someone decides to pull a punch because it gets too real. Like, yeah, I, I can't so. for talk about this a memory of me murdering this bird die free associated and I've gotten quiet at the kitchen table for a couple seconds and they're like, what are you thinking? I can't say that because you're scared of how they're going to judge you. You're scared of how they're going to yeah. judge you, even though they probably got something as mortifying, if not more so in there. And I think that's something that the current season of Leftovers is playing with. Like people that are brutally honest yeah. are the 100% honest. And like, can you actually pull that off unless you're a, nation of telepaths because at some point it seems like a foregone conclusion that someone out of sense of decency or decorum or sparing someone's feelings or a fear is going to not be entirely truthful and that's when it all the the wheels come off right sure i would think so i mean there there are a couple of ways to interpret that ending and i want to talk about that in a second but i want to go back for a second to him kind of walking claire through or sorry claire clementine through all of these uh, memories of his, this is him coming to terms with the things that are making him act the way he does, right? His shame. Yes. Uh, his his feelings of neglect and n- n- not having connections with people. Like, these are... Clementine in that space is him. Yes. And when Clementine says, oh, you were a kid, that like, this stuff... 
of it's, course you did these horrible things. Like that's just how people learn and and understand the world. That's like, him forgiving himself. Exactly. So you get kind of get the sense that maybe if he forgives himself in that space, he carries that through to their relationship in the future, that might be a good thing for them. Uh, now, you can go the other way with this ending, and you can say, this is an exercise in futility, and nothing has actually changed other than they've forgotten these bad memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that these tapes are them being confronted with these bad things about their relationship. Now, I I don't know if I buy into that because like, at the end, they kind of do want to try this again. And make it work well. Like, so can they do this again without betraying themselves or the other person's personhood? I mean, that's the real question there. Uh, yeah, I mean, when the so when the whole thing is like we remember we remember the good parts and we forget sure. the bad parts, and then at the end you have this tape confronting you with all of the bad parts. Uh-huh. Are they then going off and ignoring those and remembering only the good parts again at the very end when they decide we're going to try this? I don't know. I mean, uh, it's, I think it, that's one way to look at it. It seems to me, like you said, is has something changed? Yes, I mean, and I and, and yeah. the thing is, is like I guess there'd have to be some more conversations. And I, I'd also encourage them to listen instead of listening to thirty second snippets of it, sitting down and listening to the whole thing and having and, a conversation. And like, about it. So here's the thing: I think that there's actually clues about whether it's going to work or not. And here's one of the big ones: while Joel is listening, while Joel's listening to her tape, he's taking this incredibly personally. Yeah, and taking everything to one hundred percent to heart. But then when she's listening to his tape, he is excusing everything and like, "Oh, I don't really feel like that. I love that thing." He's lying. Yeah, right there, and he's doing it in both directions. He's take he is giving himself zero slack when he's listening to this authentic, honest feedback from her, and he's giving her maximum slack when he's giving her this brutal feedback. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's game over. He hasn't learned a goddamn thing. He's going to yeah. exactly repeat all the same mistakes. And I, I don't know if that yeah. is an intentional choice by Kaufman to show that like this is his kind of pessimistic view on how this would work, or whether that's just you know his knee jerk reaction to discomfort and they'd maybe even. But all I can judge is what I saw on the screen, and from what I see in the screen is that he's going to make all the same mistakes, which is he's going to minimize everything that she does to annoy him and never stand up for himself until until he he's boiling over yeah. with rage and bitterness and It'll all blow up again. and she's going to be like, where the fuck did this come from? Because from her perspective, not living inside his head, it's come from nowhere. Yeah. Which, that's a really insightful thing about relationships. Yeah, I mean, Charlie Kaufman is a hell of a writer. And like, the way he portrays sure. both of these characters here is masterful, in my yeah. opinion. And that's the thing. There's a fine line between being kind and loving and, you know, uh, and like when someone says, does this look good? You know, being diplomatic on, on your response. But also, there's something to be said for don't ask stupid questions like that. You know, okay, what what do you mean? Like, like if you don't want uh, if you don't want the answer, you know, you're going to get don't ask the question. Yes. Yes. Okay. Like if you're looking for the answer, if, if you want to hear I look great and that's the answer, you're you, the only answer you'll accept without a big giant fucking fight. Then don't ask the question. <laughs> OK. Or be tough enough to get the, you know, to get the, the answer. True answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, but ask uh, the question, but don't get mad when you get the bad the answer you don't want. Yeah. 
Especially if the answer you want is like, because I, I think the perfect, was this actually in the movie or is this something that Cecily and I watched this weekend and I'm misconflating? But there is a conversation that I observed two other people having about, it's the classic, do you think this woman is sexy? And it's to the, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's the reference point was like a famous super, you know, a, a very hot person. Yeah, I don't think but, this is in the movie. Okay, so this was something else. Um, why would you ask if that? If you don't want me to say yes, and then be like, if you're you're saying, did you want to hear a lie? Uh-huh. Like, you know, it's like it, it's like, would you if you want to ask me, would I have sex with that person in a relationship with you? If you're that fucking insecure to articulate something like that without feeling ridiculous, then ask that question. <laughs> okay. But don't ask me if I think Charlie Theron is hot. Because of course the answer is yes. Yes, and that's I the remember. Answer is said, definitely. We were yes. watching this on the couch and we saw it, and we both had to say, "It's like yes, we both agreed that's a phenomenally stupid question." But <laughs> I don't know. I that's but some people are that insecure and that weird. And I don't know if you are. Maybe uh, work on that before you inflict yourself on someone else. <laughs> <laughs> inflict yourself. Wow, wow. Uh, Harsh words may run over. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like I said, Joel. Like that's the thing. Like. As presented, Joel is such a bundle of neuroses and self-loathing and yep. that and, – and someone that's incapable of loving, loving themselves authentically. He has no business being in a relationship with someone. Mm-hmm. But you can't tell people to fix all their shit before they get in relationships because nobody will do it. No, of course, and you can't, right? Yeah. You need some kind of perspective on it, and if you don't ever venture out... Sure, you have to... It's like one of those things know? where it's like, I guess, you know, relationships are a skill like any else. Yeah, you have to but develop it. we have this romantic notion in, in, in especially Western culture where, uh, you know, the fir- you got begin- ultimate beginner's luck. Everyone, the first person they feel the tingles for, that's the one true love, and yeah. they should get married and have kids and all that stuff. Whereas... If you look at relationships like a skill, that's an incredible stroke of luck to find something like that. The reality sure. is you're going to have to suck at something before you understand and get better at yeah, it. Yeah, you need to put in, what, your 10,000 hours? Yeah, yeah. If you're <laughs> To become an expert? Sure, sure. That's the Malcolm Gladwell rule of thumb. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. Like The other thing is, like, you also can't just, um, like, if you want to get good at pool, you can't just, like, fucking play a bunch of pool. Uh, yeah, you actually sure. have to put some kind of, and that's the thing that's the trick about relationships and self-improvement at, at any kind is like what kind of process do you put to where you're actually learning from these mistakes? Mm-hmm. Because if you're, I don't know what that is for people, if it's it's reading stuff or if it's talking to your it friends. It sure as hell not erasing your memory. I can tell you that much. It's not erasing your memory because <laughs> that's literally failing to learn from the mistakes of the past. Yeah. Failing to th- even acknowledge the mistakes of the past at all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want these mistakes to ever have existed. Well, that's not going to lead anywhere good. Man. Uh, this movie is a masterpiece. movie is great. Like I, 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 like, I want... It's like, there's so many individual great performances. Like, even yeah. though he's a massive shit weasel, uh, Elijah Wood is doing awesome work here. I mean, I, uh, you know, he's always been kind of the wide-eyed, wide-eyed good child, and here he's kind of like this monstrous thing. In the same way that, like, Matt Damon is in The Talented Mr. Ripley. Like, he's got that same kind of really creepy vibe, which is rare when you see someone extremely handsome. Although, I guess Lodgewood is is handsome in an unconventional way. Mm, No, okay. I'm not, not really with you there. You don't think I think Elijah Wood is kind of fucked up looking. Really? Weird looking, yeah. Oh, we, we are we ha- okay. Speaking of uh, deja vu memory wipes, we actually have already had this argument we because have. then I'm like, yeah. wait, do you think Mr. Robot? Is ugly because I've so heard ugly women describe is, him as very attractive. Ugly is not the word. 
weird looking, like strange. Well, Julia looking. Roberts is weird looking, and Uma Thurman is, is weird looking. Uma Thurman but, is weird looking, yeah. But but yeah, I, mean, I don't know that I would consider Uma. Julia Thurman Roberts attractive. got the horse teeth and the big hair and the two wide eyes, but she's the package is right. is is put together nicely. I feel like that's the same with like Elijah Wood has Julia a, Roberts, but not these massive blue eyes, and that's the first mm-hmm. thing that hits you. And then, and also, I'm straight. The rest of his face is shrunken in. So, is I don't. I feel like he's. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm in a weird position of defending the sex appeal of another. Uh, this yeah, is yeah, yeah. this is fucking Benicio del Toro all over. It is. Again. He's also a weird. I can't guy. wait for Tony D to tell me how much <laughs> I love <laughs> Elijah Woods <laughs> and how I want him to be my boyfriend. Yep. Yep, because it's all true, apparently. Uh, <laughs> what else do we want to say about this goddamn movie? Uh, that's about it. I I love the themes of this movie. Uh, it's not something that a lot of people try to tackle, mm. and uh, it works out really well. Here. It makes me want to see. Uh, it makes me want to see being John Malkovich again mm. because I was so young when I saw that movie. I was in my early twenties, yeah. and I just remember just viscerally hating it. I didn't hate it. I actually liked it. I just don't understand it. Well, to me, a lot of times that's the same. Like, if I don't yeah, understand yeah. what I'm supposed to be feeling, what I'm supposed to be thinking, or even a hint of, like, the possibilities of a movie theme, I feel like today mm-hmm. uh, they failed to convey that. You need to watch Adaptation. I would love to watch Adaptation. That's a great movie. All right. And, and maybe it's I'll start a performance from Nicolas Cage that I don't think you expect. Our, seriously? If you're a Nicolas Cage fan, yes. Because I've seen the spectrum of Nick Cage. And Have you seen Matchstick Men? Yes. Okay. Because I don't the know what angle could Nick Cage give me that I would not expect. Like, I've seen him do Oscar-worthy things. I've seen him do trash that he shouldn't have done in a million years. I've seen him punch a woman in a bear costume. Oscar? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah, you're right. You have seen that. What have I seen? What Oscar-worthy things? Uh, like, I thought Weatherman was... Really How about good. leaving Las Vegas for Christ's sake? He was in that movie. I have Moonstruck. Seen that. Oh, Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona. Yes, Raising Arizona is a, a hell of a performance. Awesome comic uh, performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been in a lot of things that are just undeniably good. And then he just decided to. I don't know why. I've never heard a satisfactory explanation for why. Money. Nick. Is it? Did he go bro- broke? I Did heard he, he had divorced? a lot of tax problems. Ah, uh, like you got Willie Nelson. Yeah. Or Will and Nelson can never stop playing until he dies. Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Wesley Snipes, same thing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I heard hammered. John Cleese uh, had <laughs> to go back to work as like an 80-something because he lost all of his money in a divorce or something. Or, uh, I, yeah, he started. Yeah, I, I guess he got all that paid off now. Hmm. That's what he said on uh, Good. Bill Maher's show. All right, yeah. now we're going to talk about the, the... That's it. The monetary problems of rich and famous people. <laughs> sure. All right. Start that <laughs> podcast next week. Uh well thanks Tyler for mm-hmm. uh engendering or pff, that's not even a word is it uh yeah for enabling our uh, conversation sure for engendering my love for Elijah Woods there you go and I appreciate your support and for picking this great movie for us to watch if you'd like to commission your very own podcast if you want to be like Tyler uh you can go to baldmove.com/shop And there's two ways you can do it. Number one, there is a pre-selection of movies that you can buy shares of for $10 a pop. And once we get a certain number of those sold, we pull it off the shelf and we'll do what we call a community commission. And we've actually had a couple of those go off successfully of late. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got like two or three of them. Uh, But you can also, if none none of that on the menu selection is to your tastes, you can actually just pay a lump sum to have us talk about 
any movie, any reasonable length movie, we, we're shooting for two to three hours of content or that many episodes of television show uh, for us to cover in a podcast similar to this one. Yeah. Uh, but you can find all that details at baldmove.com slash shop. And uh, thanks in advance for your support and hope you enjoyed the podcast.